Now then, we're going to begin another story now from the life at Northcote, Heavy Horse Centre. This is from It's a Room Life, book four, volume one, from 1984 to 1994. Um, this is a bit of a medley of uh, some of the stories that have gone before, um, all put together. Some of the not-so-good times. The fire. The fire came in 1991. But I think it best to put some of these unpleasant happenings together, rather than keep coming back again. The buildings where the horses actually live only ever had one upgrade, and that was after the fire. Today, the wooden stable block stands to the east of the large metal shed. But before that, there was a large wooden lean-to here. It was twice as wide as the stable block, and all the way along the back. This was where we stored all our winter hay supply. I suppose it was at the height of the summer when it happened. The lean-to was stuffed with new hay, and I'd made a particular mention to our helpers to ensure that the electric light in that lean-to was never left on. It was me that came past the building one evening, just after the horses had been brought out in out of the paddocks. Smoke was pouring out of the lean-to, and I could see flames deep inside. The horses in the stable rock had to be put out in the paddocks again quickly. One of us called the fire services and I gathered whatever help I could and began to drag any good hay bales outside to get at the fire. We only had mains water hoses and they're not much help when you're trying to fight a fire. But they did manage to delay the real conflagration deep inside. Robert to the rescue. Access to the building was difficult as it was just behind the stables but our neighbour, Robert followed the fire engine to see what was going on. After working out the best way to tackle the problem, the fireman suggested he could help with his bray loading shovel. The first problem was finding water to fight the fire. There were, only, there were three fire engines and one was used to feed hose about 500 yards down into the village where there was a water main access. Robert was back very quickly and as the fireman soaked the hay, Robert dug it out with his shovel and took it across our yard, then across the road from our house and into a vacant field. Here a second fire engine soaked the hay to ensure the fire was out. The firemen gradually worked their way into the building and fought the flames from the outside too. By this time the whole wooden structure was well ablaze and Robert was bringing parts of the roof and framework out with every load of soaked hay. The firemen were desperately trying to save the stable block itself, which was beginning to blister with the heat. Robert's machine was the thing that really saved the main building. Using its large all-metal front loader, he was able to dismantle the burning building and take it away, still burning, into the field where the second team of firefighters killed the flames. It was all a horrible mess and although the back walls of the stable block were destroyed, the roof was saved. Everything inside the stable block was burnt to a crisp. This included my photographic dark room that I had built in the 1980s for processing all the photos I took for, for the local press. Nothing was left of it but charred plastic and twisted metal equipment. Could there be a silver lining? Out of the ashes of that dark room, though, we managed to generate sufficient money from the insurance to fund the building you see today. The budget was small compared with what we really would have liked to erect, 
But we did find that second-hand building frame. A single-span roof was essential, and that was the largest available locally for our money. Professional builders had to be found who could work to our fine budget. That was Steve Andrew from Holton Holgate. They had to dig deep holes and pour cement to provide footings for the steelwork. By now it was winter time and the weather was dreadful. Everywhere was deep mud. Then we had to find suitable roofing material at little or no cost. Steve found it at Skegness. Butlins were replacing all their original chalet accommodation and we agreed to buy all the sheets that were not damaged in the demolition. There was quite a large number and there were very heavy roofing sheets. Finally, a real phoenix rose from those dreadful ashes. We're moving on. I must add here that Andy from Croxdale, who has helped us with many projects, helped to extend that roof a year or so later. You'll notice from the photographs that the extension is in timber. Although Andy does not like working at heights, he also joined the team who built the large horse lean-to building that forms the entire north side of the stable yard. Again, it is an all-timber structure, but the roofing is the remainder of that bulk buy of roofing sheets from Butlins. Burglary 1. This happened in uh, 1992. We'd bought ourselves a new harness room to try and get everything put together, older and more valuable together with the newer, more modern harness, bought specially to work with the heavy horse ride drays. All the time we were unworldly of the ways of thieves. We were not aware that they had been among us as visitors and done their homework well before this event. They knew full well what we'd got and how it was stored. They knew what they could sell and planned their attack. So it came as a total surprise. We arrived on site one morning to prepare for the visitors for the day to find the harness room door sagging off their hinges and everything gone. Absolutely everything. Shock. The police did come before the visitors, but they did not have much enthusiasm for the job. We gave them a detailed list of what had been stolen, and shortly we were contacted by an officer from the Special Crimes Unit, who told us that we'd been victims of a planned group of burglaries all on the same night. The first had been in Yorkshire, the second on the Nottinghamshire border, a family we actually knew from the British Dragon Society, and we'd been the third and last. The officer told us he understood the thieves had more than likely sold the harness before they stole it, and the whole lot was probably in a container en route to its new owner as he spoke. We're all sick with the thought that all the time we'd been, we'd been taken, with all the time that it had taken to source the harness, we needed was all for naught. On top of this, we could not offer wagon rides for our visitors. The first day I was especially overwrought by a particularly unpleasant and outspoken Scottish lady visitor, who told me we should not be open if we could not offer a complete programme. She was in no way compassionate and for what had happened that morning. In fact, she was downright unpleasant. It was the first time I'd lost my temper with a visitor and told her to leave. The insured total came to just over £10,000. What to do? We had to think hard about the future and make sure this would not happen again, as our insurers warned us <laughs> that it could be very much the case. 
Initially, we ordered basic new bridles and reins from our local Saddlers Robinsons. The traditional English heavy horse collars were unobtainable now, as the craft had virtually died out. We bought American imported heavy collars, and wagon saddles, and all the accompanying bits and pieces. It was all new, but the collars were stuffed with sawdust and not comfortable for the horses. We had to make do. I reinforced the harness room. Charlie Johnson, our local digger driver, had an old galvanised steel door with weld mesh. I mounted this over the original door and then connected it to the 240-volt mains electric supply. This meant that anybody touching the door with their feet on the ground would receive the full main supply through their hands. I was told this was illegal, but the thieves who'd stolen all our harness were not within the law. The door had a suitable notice warning folk not to touch. The building was also alarmed. Now we move on to burglary too. In our main building at the centre, we were still exhibiting an extensive collection of horse-drawn vehicles. Most of these belonged to Paul Toynton, who had been our British Driving Society County Commissioner and had asked me to look after his carriage collection after he relocated from a very large property near Louth. I had long talked to Paul and explained that I thought his carriages were greatly at risk and reluctantly he should think about finding them a new home. Many of the collection were over 150 years old and very valuable. They'd been an excellent plus to our centre for over three years and I'd developed a special tour for visitors explaining some of the basics of carriage design and development. It was almost a year after the first burglary when they came again. It would appear to be the same thieves, as they tried to get into the harness room again. My Land Rover had been parked in front of the harness room doors as an extra precaution. They had moved that forwards, and then finding their way barred by my electrical barrier, they ransacked the ignition system on the Land Rover in their wrath. Vindictive. Not wishing to go away empty-handed, they broke into the main museum building. By now, Paul had removed all his carriages and there were just our own vehicles left. It had taken Ruth and I over ten years to collect our small number of vehicles and we were very proud of them. Two of the most valuable were a four-wheel market cart from France and which was our pride and joy and also a genuine original bow-fronted broom carriage, a town carriage from the early 1800s it was now in new black and red paintwork, having just been rebuilt after an accident. Read Wedding from Wibberton or, or listen to it. The inside was all beautiful green leather. Both these vehicles were completely dismembered, so they could be loaded by the thieves. All that remained was the actual body of the broom. That would, they would appear to have been too large for them to remove. Tragedy. This time the insurance company were most unhappy. For us, even more so, the vehicles had been greatly underinsured. The market cart we'd valued at 2500 and the broom 3000 When we received the estimate for repairing the broom alone, it was over £10,000. We could never afford to replace these vehicles. The broom body we eventually sold for £900 at a special carriage sale at Reading Market. Our insurers now insisted on a full alarm system, every building to be included together with motion centres around the yard. We decided to find a different building for the harness, 
and bought a large second-hand porter cabin with security windows from a business in Spilsby for £2,000. This was to become the subject of a county court, ju- court judgment against me when I could not pay the agreed instalments on the building following our loss of income due to, commen- due to the commencement of the National Lottery the next year. Listen to Chapel Floor Heating for that story. However, we did install the porter cabin as our new harness room and it did prove to be burglar proof. From, from, from this time on, we were highly security conscious. Many of the night I'd find myself wandering across the centre as the motion sensors had been activated. More often than not, I was wearing wellies and a dressing gown. Under my arm was a 410 shotgun, as on my own I would have no... I, I would have been no deterrent to a strong-arm gang. Trina and Jeff, once they'd begun to live on the site, took over this walkabout task. Vigilance with our visitors and strange vehicles cruising around the area were, our sh- were, we are sure, scotched one or two further attempts to break our security. Before the local police became unapproachable, we did warn them of several unusual incidents that were proven to be potential criminals on the prowl. As a footnote, when we could manage a day off together, Ruth and I liked to visit old houses. One such was Cork Abbey, near the East Midlands Airport in Nottinghamshire, its National Trust property. They had a fine collection of harness and several carriages, and on our visit there, after our experience with thieves, we did take the trouble to find someone in authority and explain what had happened to us. We recommended that they take extra precautions to protect protect their harness and vehicles. With the best will in the world, you just cannot help some folk. Cork Abbey thought we were inexperienced busybodies, and within a few months the thieves had struck there too. They lost all their harness. There we are, that's the end of that little story. Hope you enjoy listening to it. Lots more free stories to listen to on this Buzzsprout site. Um, there are um, over 50 videos to watch on Keith Sanders, the short story man on YouTube. And then there are the books to download. It's all free now. We don't charge for anything. Uh, have a look at our uh, Cracker Books on Facebook for links to the book downloads. Thank you for listening. <laughs>